On this episode of Aghast at the Past, 1892, perhaps the most notorious double murder in American history, Fall River, Massachusetts, August 4th. This is one of the shocking first reports of what happened to Andrew and Abby Borden that morning. I'd considered using the Fall River Daily account of the crime, but the digital copy isn't perfect for some reason. So I'm going to go with the Boston Globe, which I relied upon for the Tina Davis murder case quite heavily. I'll refer back to the Fall River paper frequently as the case progresses in coming weeks. The headline, Both Dead, Fiendish Murder in Fall River, A.J. Borden and Wife Butchered. A most brutal and shocking murder stirred this city as it has seldom been stirred this morning. And no crime has ever been committed here which could compare with it in its fiendishness. Andrew J. Borden, a highly respected businessman, 68 years of age, and his wife, a most estimable lady of advanced years, were literally hacked to pieces in their quiet home at 92 2nd Street. The house is a two-and-one-half-story structure surrounded by a well-kept yard and barn and is located in a thickly settled neighborhood. The family consisted of Mr. and Mrs. Borden, an unmarried daughter, Lizzie, and a servant named Bridget Sullivan. Another unmarried daughter is away on a visit to relatives. For some days past, Mr. and Mrs. Borden and Miss Lizzie had been feeling poorly. And yesterday, or the day before, they suspected that their food was being tampered with and that they were suffering from poisoning. They had determined upon an analysis, according to the servant, but as far as can be ascertained, were not in possession of any definite information which would confirm their suspicions. Yesterday afternoon, Mr. Borden was so unwell that he did not attend a meeting of the bank directors, as was his custom, and his friends inquired concerning his health. This morning, he felt better, and between 10 and 11 o'clock went downtown and transacted some business in the First National Bank. Thence, he walked up North Main Street, and at 10.30 was seen standing on the corner of Anawan Street, where he owns a handsome brick block. He gave orders to certain workmen, and then crossed the street and walked directly to his home. When he entered his house, the servant was in the kitchen, and Miss Lizzie Borden, the daughter, was sleeping in her room upstairs. Just what happened afterwards is not known. At 11.15, Miss Borden awoke and descended the stairs. She passed into the front sitting room on the first floor, and there a sight met her eyes which caused her to cry out in horror. Lying on a lounge, with his face towards the ceiling, 
was the body of her father. The head was covered with wounds from half an inch to six inches in length, and the wall of the skull had been crushed in. One gaping cut extended from the forehead diagonally across the face to the shoulder blade and had evidently been inflicted by a butcher's cleaver or a broad axe. The unfortunate man's blood had flowed onto his shirt front and stained the sofa pillow. Mrs. Churchill, a neighbor, happened to be passing at the time and noticed the agonized expression on Miss Borden's face. She hastened in, and Bridget Sullivan, the servant, also ran to Miss Borden's assistant when she heard her scream. Where is your mother, Lizzie? inquired Mrs. Churchill. Miss Borden, who retained remarkable control of herself, replied that her mother had gone out. She had received a message some little time before asking her to call on a sick friend, and the daughter supposed that she had gone on an errand of mercy. Still, the door leading out to the backyard was open, contrary to custom, and the young lady feared that the conclusions regarding her mother might be incorrect. In company with Mrs. Churchill, she went to her mother's room in the northwest corner of the second floor, where the poor girl's worst fears were realized. Stretched in a sickening pool of blood was the wife and mother. The body lay between the bed and a dressing case, and the skull had been battered in apparently by the same weapon which had been used on Mr. Borden. Although the nature of the wounds suggested that the murderer had dealt his blows with the blunt edge. Miss Borden swooned, and Mrs. Churchill and the servant at once raised an alarm. Unfortunately, the first notice sent out was to the effect that there had been a stabbing affray on 2nd Street, and it was said that there had been a row in a yard. A few moments later, when the most intense excitement prevailed, and when it became known that Andrew J. Borden had been murdered, though it was fully an hour before the details of the awful tragedy reached the public. Business in the center of the city was practically suspended, and men in all walks of life flocked to the scene. City Marshal Hilliard sent several officers to the house, and they are working on the case at present, while all quarters of the town are being scoured. The first rumor that had reached the police had it that Mr. Borden had been struck near the barn and had walked back to the house and thrown himself onto the lounge to die. Investigation proved, however, that that story was not true as there was no trail of blood leading into the room where the body was found. The carpet was not stained, and there were no indications of a struggle. Dr. Bowen, who resides near the murdered man, was the first to enter the house after the crime was committed. He learned the following facts. 
When Mr. Borden returned from the bank, he removed his coat, put on a thinner garment, and sat down on the sofa to read a paper. The servant, Bridget Sullivan, passed through the room on her way upstairs to wash the windows. Observing Mr. Borden, and remembering that he was not as well as usual, she asked him how he was feeling. No better or worse than yesterday, was the reply. Bridget passed Miss Borden on the stairs. The latter went out through the room in which her father was sitting and entered the barn to get a piece of iron with which she intended to mend a flower pot. She thinks that she was not absent from the house more than five minutes. She too noticed that her father was occupied with a newspaper and merely nodded to him. When she returned, the frightful scene which had been described met her gaze. Dr. Bowen is positive that Mrs. Borden must have entered the room where Mr. Borden sat just as the murderer finished his bloody work and that the fiend chased her upstairs to her room where he struck her down as the blows were inflicted by a person who stood beside her. As stated, the city is paralyzed by the most terrible page in its history, made this morning, and all kinds of rumors are afloat as to the perpetrator of the dark deed. On the most reliable authority, however, it is learned that at about eight o'clock, a Portuguese laborer, whose name is not known, called on Mr. Borden. The man had been employed on the latter's farm across the river and asked Mr. Borden for his pay. He was told that there was no money in the house, but Mr. Borden said that he would get it for him later. It is supposed that Mr. Borden went downtown on this errand. It is also surmised that he had some difficulty with the laborer in question, and that the man laid in wait for him. Another theory, which does not obtain much credence, is that the deed might have been perpetrated by one of Mr. Borden's tenants. This much is known, that up to two o'clock this afternoon, there is no trace of the murderer, and that the weapon has not been found. The police have crossed Slade's Ferry Bridge and are searching in Somerset, where Mr. Borden's farm is situated. The bodies have not yet been removed, and thousands of sightseers are surging about the house. Nothing was taken by the murderer, and it is conceded that he was not intent upon plunder. Mr. Borden was a reserved, courteous gentleman who amassed a fortune when a member of the firm of Borden and Elmy undertakers. He retired from business many years ago and invested largely in real estate. He was president of the Union Savings Bank, a director in the BMC Durfee Safe Deposit and Trust Company, and was interested in several of the manufacturing corporations of the city. Deceased was of retiring disposition and never figured prominently in public life. He was twice married. His second wife, who was murdered today, 
being a daughter of the late Oliver Gray. Two unmarried daughters by his first wife survive him. More on the Lizzie Borden case soon. Until next time.